I mean, if your podcast or if your listeners like it, I can swallow into the microphone. But I, I just feel like that's generally and that not that is the sound bite we will put at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yes! Yes! I've achieved my one goal. <laughs> me out so much I needed a palate cleanse and went back to Harry Potter because that's really? when I was in China oh. and I borrowed it from the library oh, there. Nice. Um, yeah. Dark objects, or sorry, dark places and sharp objects. Dark um, objects sharp, sharp places. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, oh, there's a sharp Speaking of uh, Jason, what it was oh, in there. Oh no. <laughs> well, I, I do have to give trigger warnings for both of those because they are really intense, but do you want a tangent on two sharp places? Because right. Risha just Goodness. went, oh, there's a sharp place in <laughs> this, this book. book. <laughs> so I'm not trying to take it over from Ethan, but that was a tragic moment for us. It was. But and you uh, should we talk about it Let's in the podcast? Yes. Yeah. Quickly say hi. Thank God. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Uh, this is Michael and Ethan in a room that Scotch is in and also that Aaron and Risha are in. Um, I've now caused us to rename the podcast twice in two episodes. Um, <laughs> so the your revised t-shirts will be in the mail. <gasps> t-shirts um, no oh. no you don't just people who pay for them online <laughs> and also that's fictitious they they also don't oh. get them i was gonna say um, send me the link oh. okay <laughs> somewhere somewhere there is a link where you can buy a nihilist blanket yes, yes. doesn't doesn't the nihilist blanket say don't worry it's nothing no the i think the nihilist blanket says this is my nihilist blanket yep that is funny <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> we are continuing to drink Akintoshin, uh, single malt scotch whiskey, 12 years old, delicate and layered, as the label says. Um, we are also going to continue discussing Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, we need a review of the rules. Mm -hmm. Karen, my wife, can you come in and read us the rules, please? Rule one, once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two, no one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three, Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. 
Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. listener. Thank you, Karen, my wife. Uh, we also, because we have some special guests, we have instated uh, two additional guest rules. Um, Aaron, do you want to review your rule for us quick? Uh, my rule in the last episode was dubbed the sippy cup rule, which <laughs> I love. Um, it's the two hands, hold your cup with two hands when you drink from it rule that many toddlers are given. So we're following that. You can move your drink with one hand. You can right. hold your drink with one hand. But if you are going to drink out of your cup or glass, you need to use both hands. Excellent. Which has Thank already... Um, Ruined a few people. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but we, we don't need to uh, review losses and horrors that we went through two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, which is when the last episode came out. Yeah. Uh, Risha, can you review your rule for us? Yeah, so if you uh, say any of the M names incorrectly, you lose. Because there are you several Thank in you. this book. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So now I'm I'm assuming this covers both mispronouncing the M names as well as like mixing up and saying the wrong no. M name. How how would you know if you mispronounced it? Well, what if you called someone like what's an M name that's not in the book? Michelle. Right. What if you were like did did Michelle or did Mike do the thing? It's like there's not even a Mike in the book. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it's not also or Michaela. Michaela. Also, if you say Ben's last name wrong. Like that counts, Wait, and as the host of the podcast, I get to decide what the correct pronunciation of his last name is. Which is that's what I object to. What is it then? Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying. What's the correct? Exactly. See, this is why Ethan, as the Nazi driving the train, needs to be exploded. Can I make a guess, and you say if I'm right or wrong? Sure. Without punishing me. Yes. Is it not just mirrors? It is. Okay, okay. thank God. Okay. That's why I'm like, was... how do you say it otherwise? <laughs> See, you, you like accidentally interdicted my tactic because my tactic was just to wait till Michael said it and then say whatever <laughs> he said was wrong. It's not mirrors, it's Murs. <laughs> I think you'll find in the original Welsh. <laughs> um, Excellent. Yes. I'm calling for well, a hostile let us takeover. Clink glasses so that we may. Begin to abide by the rules and be punished accordingly if we fail. Schlank. Note who didn't cheers. I know he did. I tried to last time and he wouldn't do it. I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Yeah. What a jerk. (laughs) It's because she's just nothing but a sister. I had not had any in my mouth. (laughs) Close call. I I heard it. She just swallowed into the microphone. Well, she said she would. Fortunately for everyone, to. that is not officially one of the rules. So, okay, that'll be my rule when I come back for Gillian Flynn. <laughs> you can't swallow into the microphone, or you have no to swallow. swallow what if you, you have, have to? to? What if oh. Michael no mouth noises? Ethan crank those mouth noises for me. <laughs> Never gonna read Gillian Flynn. <laughs> I'm just considering whether I have to put the explicit tag on this episode. No, really? No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I mean, you can take it that way, but like a five-year-old isn't going to, I hope. 
It's like I, that I like to keep our podcast in the territory of like, <laughs> yes. If a kid listened to it, they wouldn't be offended, but they would might have a lot of awkward questions. So like Shrek, exactly. Yeah, <gasps> exactly. The parents think it's hilarious, and the kids are like, "Mommy, why are you laughing?" <laughs> like, I tell you when you're older. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Oh, nothing. Something else, honey. Mm-hmm. And then you watch as an adult, like, and you're like, "What?" Yeah. Anyway, that's not what this show is about. <laughs> what I, is it about? Ethan? This show is about Stephen <laughs> King, I guess. I think, um, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Yes, thank you. Now, earlier Menace. in our current conversation, and in a part that I can't remember may or may not be in the podcast, um, Risha and Aaron <laughs> encountered the Jillian Flynn novel "Dark Places" in our conversation, right? Dark places, dark yes. objects, dark places, dark, dark places, <laughs> sharp oh, no, objects, sharp places. But I accidentally oh, misread and said sharp places, and Risha goes, "Oh, I, I misspoke." And then Risha goes, "Oh, there are sharp places in this book," <laughs> yes. which is a tragic you alluded, tangent. You alluded to it being like a, a shared moment of tragedy between the two of you. Well, she bamboozled I, me. <laughs> please elaborate. <laughs> well, I. I bamboozled you twice. Yes. Do you want me to get into both of them? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Well, the the first one was Susan. Mm-hmm. So this this is again. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go listen to the first episode because we also, pause and talk about spoilers. Yeah. Well, and this one says part two on it. Okay. So good. Only a psychopath would be listening to a part two. Well, and expecting. Yeah. One. Then in that case, you get what you deserve. Um, exactly. I was further ahead than Risha in the book. I read it a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. and Risha comes flying into work one day, and you said something to the effect of like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe it." Yeah. I'm I'm so upset, and I was like, I know, and I I care what I said. Well, it's because I was talking about how um the little boy like came up behind her. What's his name? Mark. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. Good work. <laughs> good <trap. laughs> yes, you were talking about how Mark scared Susan. Yeah, and it's going up into the house, and I had stopped like right there before they got into the house and went through that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it was so close, like to that, like it's within that same chapter yeah. i think pages that, that whole thing happens where, where she Susan gets yeah gets like into the basement and so i was right before that part and i was like oh my gosh and she was like oh i know it's so t-, you know and and like i know susan and i was like what what D- does susan die and she's like oh oh no <laughs> i, I backpedaled hard because she's talking about it, she's like oh my gosh poor susan i felt so bad for her Referring to when she got scared from the young boy yes. creeping up behind her. And I thought she meant when Susan's in the basement being changed into a vampire. So I opened my big fat mouth and I'm like, I know. I was so disappointed when that happened too. And she's like, what? When what happened? And yeah. I'm like, oh no, nothing happens to Susan. And somehow I actually did, did. play it she, off. I was like, oh, uh, oh, okay. Oh, not that. No, gosh, no, that's not what happens at all. That's exactly what happens. Um, so that was the first bamboozlement, which was funny because it was like later that day day or maybe right away the next morning yeah. you came flying and we're like you lied to I was me like, Aaron! <laughs> i'm like oh, i'm so sorry i just didn't want to be a spoiler i hate spoilers um and then the second bamboozlement is is we were chatting one time mm-hmm. and i think you said something along the lines of like i just really like jimmy uh-huh. i hope nothing happens I to like, jimmy I hope jimmy's okay jimmy. and i'm standing there knowing jimmy has like the most tragic death arguably out of <laughs> anybody in my opinion and i'm just like 
Oh, I know. I really like Jimmy, too. It would have been so sad if anything had happened. And at this point, I've already <laughs> finished the book, so I'm just like, oh, I know. He's such a good character. Like, mm-hmm. current tense, current tense, current tense. Don't do past tense. Don't do past tense. Don't look sad. <laughs> Keep the sadness out of your eyes. Um, and I believe that is what Risha's sharp places is referring to, is Jimmy's Demise. fatal, fatal end. Yes. And sure. one might say in those sharp places, all of those sharp places were dark objects. Oh. Do we do that in harmony? Ooh. <laughs> that was not in harmony. I just picked a note and hope you guys figured it out. I think we both went to the same note. <laughs> that sounds like harmony to me. <laughs> so we all just the do the part, same note. The part that I heard was beautiful. Um, <laughs> and I phrase it that way because discords like sound blocking filters are very powerful but sometimes too powerful and they sometimes think that beautiful harmony is like the same as like someone crunching popcorn Um, i'm wrong (laughs) uh, (laughs) that seems like the most controversial thing anyone has said in (laughs) either of these episodes um i just want the princess and the popper the harmonizing thirds thirds she has beautiful eyes so anyway a question that I would like to explore about this book yes please Uh, I was really hoping I'd have one by the time I finished that preface and I don't Um, I know that there was okay here yeah I I actually do have one Um, Mm. I thought of it during the break and then I lost it but you found it. Uh, we haven't discussed too much of the plot of this book, which is a Michael <laughs> no. and Ethan, like, bingo card sort of typical yeah. thing. Um, we have bingo cards. And <gasps> I would like to... I want a bingo card. Maybe open up that discussion. I don't know. Uh, you guys can all answer however you choose, um, uh, whether it has to do with the plot or not, but maybe it will. Um, so with that extremely helpful and definite, uh, precise uh, preamble, I would like to bring up something that I, a quote that I read by Stephen King ages ago, and as the kids say, it lives rent-free in my mind. <laughs> I um, will not quote it correctly because I did not bother to do any kind of preparation for this episode, and so I'm just like paraphrasing it from my memory, but I think that the concept should be right, even if the, the wording is not. The um, And I think it's from King's book On Writing, mm. which is literally the name of the book. Um, and I believe it's in that book where he says something to the effect that the scariest moment in any horror story is when the group of characters that you care about are trapped in a room and uh, something is pounding on the door he said that's the scariest moment um Mm. because as soon as you open the door and you find out that it's like a 20 foot long caterpillar Mm. like that's scary actually i picked one of the least scary animals but (laughs) that's i just played mario kart and that's an actual (laughs) mario kart character that Ah. i kept running into (laughs) i meant to say grasshopper which is still even less scary than more scary but whatever more scary those things are vicious wait Okay, wait, ranking of scary bugs. Oh, Grasshopper, no. scarier than caterpillar. caterpillar? 
So grasshopper scarier than caterpillar. Where does tarantula fall? And centipedes. Is it a tarantula? Why would you bring up centipedes? Centipedes are scary. Centipedes launch way up high. I I love centipedes. Crush them all. See, is the tarantula one that I am needing to handle and has it been handled before? Mm. Well, it's 20 feet. It's 20 foot. In diameter, I, my my point stands. Is it one I have to interact with and yes. hasn't been interacted with before? It's after no. you, it wants to eat you. I'm still gonna okay. go grasshopper. Being Hold scary. Okay. Like Wait. Okay. 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 No. okay. If they are mm-hmm. all capable of and desire to eat me, yes, that changes the dynamic. Okay. If they're giant too, are they yes. giant? Then it's yes, a daddy long giant. legs, twenty foot. But just just tarantula. Okay. Grasshopper. Oh, just yeah, these three caterpillar. <laughs> Red herring um, insects. <laughs> and also, where does a 20-foot-long red herring fall? See, because there, I might say caterpillar because it's got the ick-squish factor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, that's up at the top. Tarantula next. No, grasshopper next. Grasshopper so. being able to jump and catch up to me that quickly, though, freaks me out. But and come awkward. from above. They are awkward. They, they, can't, they, can't, they can't. They have aim. very poor trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, when they're solitary, especially. I have to put caterpillars at the top because growing up, my siblings told me that any of the fuzzy caterpillars were poisonous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who would have told you that. The switch from like demon to angel voice there is terrible. <laughs> I don't know who would have told. <laughs> Ethan, your yep. final ranking. Uh, I'm gonna go grasshopper. Caterpillar tarantula, because hmm. um, I I just feel like grasshoppers look creepy, hmm. and especially the bigger that they are, the more it would accentuate that. And caterpillars, just because Michael said ick squish, <laughs> and then I guess that leaves tarantula. <laughs> and then red herrings, red herrings are like a distant fourth. Anyway, now that we've hammered <laughs> out the most important detail <laughs> of this question. Um, so yes, the so the scariest moment is before you open that door. When you open the door and find that it's a twenty foot grasshopper, that st- could still be scary, but like it also could have been a thirty foot grasshopper or a fifty foot grasshopper. Like the mm-hmm. less unknown something is, right. the less scary it is inherently. Yeah. That ties so into what, like H.P. Lovecraft said: the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. Yes, right. and this is it's connected. Um, right. Yeah, like Aaron went on a really cool tangent last episode about like some of sort of the like like biological evolutionary reasons that we might be afraid of something um and i felt like this was the one thing we didn't hit as an example but like this is and it and it can tie in like it can have that biological tendency because like our ancestors who saw the grass moving and decided it was the wind were less likely to survive than our ancestors who saw the grass moving and decided it was a saber toothed tiger. Um, So there's that element to it. But my question for this moment was, does, do you guys think that King like follows that dictum at all in Salem's lot? Like does he use the unknown as, um, Hmm. Like, does he use the unknown to cause the the fright or the shock or the terror or whichever whichever scary thing? Um, well, we just might be. We just referenced because, the portion when Susan was frightened by Mark, right? 
Yeah. And the way that chapter ends is it's left as though she is shocked by whatever is living in Marston House. And so he he leaves the door shut for a little while, so to speak, mm-hmm. right. before then opening it and dis- dispelling the fear only to heighten it again by right. then locking her in the basement and letting the horror be talked about without being seen. Right. Well, and also I think if you don't know the premise of the book already, oh, sure. you know, like you knew they were vampires. We didn't, we even, I remember we had a discussion beforehand about what's happening. And mm-hmm. I think you, you were the one who said it. I was like, oh, I think it's vampires. And I was just like, based on some of the telltale things. No, sure. I don't know much so- more. Right. And it turns out it was, but mm-hmm. you you had said something like you thought it was like a demon possession. I thought it was like a possession sure. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like having that be a question mm-hmm. too, like mm-hmm. the whole like cult person that took the boys, you know, like, oh yep. what 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 did they do? Did they summon something? Is it what you yep. know, what's going on? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ethan, I remember you said you had a different thought about it too. About what was going on, what was actually going on. Oh, well, that was because um, Stephen King faked me out. Yep. Uh, because, as we alluded to last episode, we didn't say it directly, but um, <laughs> relatively recently in the history of this podcast, we uh, uh, did Shirley Jackson's um, The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Great um, episode, by the way. And oh, thank you. So really when I see part one the marston house uh-huh. and then i see literally the opening of <laughs> shirley jackson's the haunting of hill yes! house mm-hmm. um i immediately am being set up to think oh this is a haunted a haunting, house story of right. some um and like everything if you you know of course if you don't know sort of the the spoiler as it were and um you know, you can go through probably, I forget exactly when the vampire thing is revealed, but you can go oh, through, yeah. you know, I think... It's a good chunk. A good chunk of part one, if not... No, okay, so I'm looking at the end of part one, and they're certainly, like, they're telegraphing it. Yes. If they yeah. haven't said it yet. Like, I would know by the end of part one when, sure. when it starts to be things about, like, oh let me in, and then he doesn't come so, in. Like, mm-hmm. That seems pretty obvious if you know any kind of vampire lore. Right. But you could go through, I would say, most of part one uh, as I did, thinking this was potentially some form of a haunted house story. Right. Um, and, like, it does make me wonder, kind of, is there... Uh, you know, there's, there's like, a, a quote... I think we've brought it up on this podcast maybe ages ago that I think Tolstoy said there are only two kinds of stories. Mm. Um, there's a, a stranger comes to town and a man goes on a journey mm-hmm. or a person goes on a journey. Um, <laughs> like, and, and I don't know if it was an original thought or if I read it somewhere else, but like as a reply to that, you could say that those stories are the same story from different perspectives because a right. stranger coming to town is a person who's gone on a yeah. journey mm-hmm. and a person who goes on a journey is eventually going to be a stranger coming to town. I wonder if like the haunted house story and the vampire story as like sort of the two 
arguably the two forms of horror story in some way mm. are the same story. I see exactly what you're saying and I love it. Um, so yes. So um, the, th- I, ugh, man, I gotta not break the rule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the foreigner who comes in and I've I've sawn off the uh associates the, the stairs and I and you're just like <laughs> there's just like knives below you. No! <laughs> this is traumatizing really them more than me. <laughs> I'm really conflicted because I'm like ha ha ha, but also Ooh, <laughs> uh, but yes, so you've got that same thing going on in and, and so th- this this gets on to my overall thesis if i want to say that about this book in general is this book is existentialist dracula (laughs) it hits first of all a lot of the same points that dracula does so stephen king has not just taken the general lore and created a new story he has taken the overarching layout of dracula and created his story out of it. You've got the the same characters of of Mina and all like all all those all those characters um, in Dracula who show up here basically in different forms. Um, it, you... Like some of them call out very specifically as like oh you know who he reminds me of yeah Van Helsing yeah. I forget what exactly right. how exactly that conversation goes but that happens in the book where it's like yeah, yeah. you know that guy's Van Helsing so you know kind of making explicit what is what I had already noticed <laughs> as as he's going along. It's like, oh, you're turning him into Van Helsing because he's locked in the hospital room and he's reading all the books and he's the expert in telling everybody. Um, but what were you going to say? I was going to say, who would you say Ben is in that mix? Um, he, so he's he's kind of a mixture and, and everybody is kind of a mixture. Sure. So Susan is a mixture of um, Mina and um, what's her name? been so long since i read it is it lucy no it's not lucy that is it starts with an l it starts yeah. with an l anyway dracula. uh the other woman in dracula and that's Isn't that lucy? barely oh, an exaggeration woman. um <laughs> besides dracula's three wives yep um hey for a for a 19th century male author like having two named female characters it's is it, like true very very good lucy um, it is lucy is, is lucy, lucy west yes. yep yeah. Um, and like, so she very much leans into the, the Lucy aspect of it, especially later. And it's yeah. mostly the timing of Susan's demise that turns her into the mixture and makes her somewhat of a Mina. Um, but she's really a, a mixture of Lucy I and really Mina. I wish she was Mina. Right. Like, I, like, I mean, that's, that's how he was setting her up. Right. To be, to be the Mina, but it's existentialist. Um, and so she has to be both. Um, so the... I mean, you've got the whole thing about um, what's his name being carted in and like you've got that whole dynamic of him being brought in and carried in and and brought into the basement and everything just like Dracula was brought in and carried in. And like it's a very Dracula-ish lore Mm -hmm. for everything. But it's it it starts getting existentialist when you focus on the the priest character Um, and especially when you get to – it's I, I haven't marked on page 541 in my edition, and this again is in the lot chapter four or the lot part four, 
uh, in the deserted village part, um, whatever this chapter is, chapter 17 maybe, um, or part 17 in chapter whatever, part 18, 19, 20, there it is. Oh, good heavens. Anyway, um, yeah, 21 is right on the next page. Um, but uh, Barlow, that's his name, um, is talking to Callahan and um, talks about, it's talking about the cross and this is when Barlow snaps the arms of the cross off uh, and mm. throws them to the floor. And Barlow says, you have forgotten the doctrine of your own church, is it not so? The cross, the bread and wine, the confessional, only symbols. Without faith, the cross is only wood, the bread baked wheat, the wine sour grapes. If you had cast the cross away, you should have beaten me another night in a way I hoped it might be so. It has long been... It has been long since I have met an opponent of any real worth. The boy makes ten of you, false priest. Um, so this whole aspect that the uh, Dracula isn't beaten by the symbols, right? Like, mm-hmm. like in Dracula, he's beaten by something behind the symbols, but not something uh, transcendent behind the symbols. Something personal behind the symbols. The faith, right? The personal uh, belief. Exactly. Yeah. It's very existentialist. And what is? Ben's whole distinguishing factor in terms of this whole mystery, this whole event that's going on. What distinguishes Ben? It's his experience. What he has experienced in the Marston house, right? Mm -hmm. He went and he saw the vision and so he can relate to other people and so he's quicker to catch up on things and so he can relate to other people and... and, uh, Well, and he's he's believed. Exactly. Very early on. Exactly. So it's very existentialist. It's about the experience. It's about the personal experience of what's gone on. And that's where... And it's... Yeah. Even another aspect of it that, like, is almost like a horror story recasting of like existentialist philosophy is yep. not only the fact that he believes but like the fact that he's ambivalent about that experience and that yep. belief mm-hmm. exactly that, like he holds it he holds both um sort of in the way that like in a a, a secular society or a, a society that defaults to secularism like people who are religious often will sort of have like a uh, it's almost like two different, I don't know, gra- glasses prescriptions or something where you have one set of glasses that you look at things through sort of a secular lens in order to relate to people who don't necessarily share your faith. And then you have almost a different lens for people who do share, share your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like he kind of, but, th- but that like that distinction can't, you can't hold both of those things a hundred percent all of the time that they mm-hmm. will bleed into each other. It's a very tenuous tightrope to walk and it you yeah. topple one way or the other at some point. And like for someone who has read very little Kierkegaard, this <laughs> is a wild thing to say, but it feels very Kierkegaardian. <laughs> sure. I, I think, um, I think it is. Um, so the, the, like there are points in this where, um, I, I mean, I, I don't want to flex my, my theological background too much. Do it. Um, <laughs> But Send I, it. I was trying to find the the spot where um, I wrote ex opera operato in the in the margin. Um, I've been really interested to hear your opinion on this from that perspective, to be honest. Okay, all right. Um, so sorry everyone else, but I really wanted to hear what Michael's thoughts on this were. No, Fair. I agree. Uh, oh, there it is. Uh, it's uh, page four hundred five. It's uh, Ben Part Four, uh, the Emperor of Ice Cream, Ben Four, Chapter Ten. <laughs> 
Um, As backward read by Risha in part (laughs) one. Um, And Ben and Jimmy are together. um, And they've got the the cross that they make out of tongue depressors. And um, Jimmy says, bless it. And Ben says, what? I can't. I don't know how. Then make it up, Jimmy said, and his pleasant face suddenly appeared strained. You're the writer. You'll have to make. You'll have to be the metaphysi- metaphysician. Uh, for Christ's sake, hurry! I think something is going to happen. Can't you feel it? Uh, and so, like they, they're talking about how they're feeling this uh, going on. But th- this whole idea—you've got to make up the blessing um, that goes mm-hmm. on. That's very, first of all, existentialist. That's that's one mm-hmm. thing. But also, it's less about the meaning of the thing. It's less about what's actually there. And more about going through the motions of creating this thing. So ex opera operato being, by virtue of the work being worked, it is mm-hmm. efficacious. Um, it's it's, it's a- an existential efficacy instead of, um, a, a, like in Bram Stoker's Dracula, a more transcendent efficacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, given that Kierkegaard was Lutheran um, right. and sort of the father of existentialism, uh and I mean, Bram Stoker was Irish, so I guess I'm assuming he was Catholic. Um, it's mm. interesting how, like, concordant those two, uh, the uh, existentialist background of the King version versus the Catholic background of the um, Stoker one is, because, like, theologically, Catholics tend to put a lot more stock into, like, the things being imbued with this power, you know, the, the right. um, idea of like uh, a monstrance, for example, like once mm-hmm. the priest blesses, um, you know, blesses the, the elements of communion of the Eucharist, yep. you can then put those into a thing mm-hmm. um, and parade that thing around. And they still are Christ. Right. And, Michael, please feel free to correct me because your right. Lutheran theology is obviously <laughs> better than mine. But um, as I understand, in the Lutheran understanding, um, the it, that basically doesn't make any sense. That it's like the whole it's the Usus rule. <laughs> yeah, that's can you Augustine. On that because you'll do a better job than I. Sure, um, that's from Augustine. He says uh, nihil est sacramentum extra Usus. Um, or it's it's called the nihil rule frequently. Clearly, everyone on this call, from the way that Risha and uh, Aaron oh, nodded at each other knowingly, <laughs> understood mm. your entire Latin sentence, but maybe translated mm. for our uh, less enlightened listeners. Sure. Yes, what, so, knowing mms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yes, he what he said was, nothing is a sacrament outside of its use. Um, and so the, it's, it's not only, um, this transformation that occurs, but it's, it's within the proper use of the thing that it remains, um, the, the sacrament, so to speak. And so that's, that's led to, um, a a sort of, um, in, within Lutheran circles, a soft, um, I don't want to say disagreement, but like, uh, an open question maybe. And that's maybe Mm. even saying too much too. Um, about the, it's the reliquiae question, um, or the leftovers question. Um, if you want to translate reliquiae. Uh, so yes. Um, and yeah, 
yeah, that, that's that's basically the difference. It's it's whether it's outside of the use or inside the use, and whether it's a permanent change or or not. And even within that, there are shades. Is that sure. what kind of so, led to the iconoclasm? I or, mean, like a, like a portion of it, I guess. Yeah, it's a factor. Okay, sure. Like, can um, you lay people's terms for <laughs> certain people in the room? Sure. <laughs> I don't know, just if there's anybody in this room uh, who happens to be confused. At least from like an art history perspective, yeah. um, it was uh, when like the Reformation happened, and there were a lot of the different mm-hmm. like Protestant portions coming forward. Um, the the like art and um, like statues, paintings, um, things that really were in the church that made it like high church, like made it really like it was. Um, the, Mm. the symbols were the, um, were just very like ornate, Mm -hmm. beautiful. And it was filling like, that was what people were like going towards, like, you know, rubbing Mm -hmm. statues and stuff like that idea is they were going towards the, the, the The physical symbols instead of looking at like words. And so the iconoclasm happened where they took a lot of those out of the church Forcibly, forcibly is, is, yes, is the issue. That forcibly. was Karlstadt and his followers in Wittenberg while Luther was in the Wartburg Castle mm-hmm. uh, after the Diet of Worms. Um, he like he started riling people up, and um, uh, they they would storm cathedrals and yeah. tear out the statues. They would take priests out and defrock them publicly and everything. It was very violent, um, which is is the uh, the inciting incident for Luther's return. From his exile at the Wartburg, he returned to Wittenberg the first Sunday in Lent and preached eight sermons, one sermon each day for a week, starting the first Sunday in Lent. And each day, then he preached against iconoclasm. Mm. Um, it's his eight Wittenberg sermons is is uh, what it's commonly known as because he was advocating love for the, the uh, majority of it. But in general, he was saying, don't just destroy, teach. Um, and that gives the symbols the purpose. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of the idea. Like, don't just destroy the symbol, but teach what actually is the truth. And then the symbols can serve a supporting role in, in that aspect. So Luther was preaching against the iconoclasts in that way. Karlstadt being the, the motivating, um, Karlstadt, uh, um, being the the motivating iconoclast within that whole faction and everything, yeah, and so like that's part of it because um, that it, it was about the symbols. It was yeah. about this thing that that supposedly had the power outside of the the verba, the words. Um, that 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 was what Luther was highlighting, uh, especially. Yeah. In in layman's terms, I, I sometimes talk about it's almost unfortunate that the whole that whole movement gets called the Protestant Reformation because um, a more helpful terminology might be to talk about the Lutheran Reformation and the Calvinist Reformation. Yeah. Um, And even that is oversimplifying because like uh, Arminian in there too. Well, to me, Arminianism is like a subset of Calvinism, which I know is a deeply controversial. uh, Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I did say that just to make everyone mad. Tulip. Um, That's all I'm going to say. If you know, you know, <laughs> the uh, the point I'm making, though, and it's it's not it's not that neat to distinguish it into Lutheran and Calvinist, um, at least theologically. But like, 
culturally and um, even philosophically, there were basically two impulses that came out of the Reformation. One was embodied in Luther, who didn't want to break with the Catholic Church. Right. He wanted to literally reform the Catholic Church. He said, it's better for Christians to stay together, to have unity, not at any cost, but at potentially some cost. Hmm. Um, and so he basically said, if the Pope didn't put himself in the place of Jesus, we wouldn't have a problem with the Pope. Um, sure all of this other stuff could be worked through. And, um, he said that until I mean, we, about the mid thirties. Sure. And then, um, then was like, he's never going to do that. And like, it's baked in. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm, I'm still talking about like this point length and held where... on until about the late thirties. And we and are talking about, that to be clear, the 1530s. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I thought it was the so... 1930s. <laughs> I'm I, now. I, I am, Luther. It, it, and it will shock everyone to learn this based on oh, the foregoing discussion. I am trying to zoom out and take things from a very like eagle eye perspective. The two <laughs> impulses were basically. Sorry, I'm just thinking the... about Luther being on the Titanic now. In my... <laughs> oh man, that's a fan fiction. I don't know what um, kind of what fandom, but it's a fan. If you, you write it, I will you... read it. Oh, my goodness. Uh. You guys know that there is a play where the three main characters are oh Martin gosh. Luther, yes. Prince Hamlet, and um, Dr. Dr. Faustus. Faustus. Yes, um, Wittenberg. It's called Wittenberg because they all supposedly study Wittenberg at um, the same time. I've, oh wow! Have you, Michael? Have you read the play? I have not. I, it's like it's like at the tip of my list, and I need to find it and buy it and read it. And I will hate you it and rewrite it. Yeah, I was going to say, I will lend you my copy. It's worth reading once. It's a better idea than it is a play, that's, I think. That's, but... that's why I haven't read it. Anyway, go yeah. on. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So there were two impulses that came out of the Protestant Reformation. This was supposed to be like a one-minute explanation. Nah, um, man. We're full sentiment. But what did I expect from an episode where we had to rate the scariness of giant insects? Um, <laughs> there are two impulses. One is... Let's reform the church. Let's keep all of the beautiful things, all of the 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 sacred things, and change them as little as possible. Teach and love mm. instead of mm -hmm. um, the other impulse, which I would describe the Calvinist side of the Reformation, sort of the extremist side of the Reformation, as the burn it all down and start from scratch approach. Sure. And that approach, both, that... again, theologically, socially, culturally... Um, not at all relevant to 2023 slash 2024 where we're recording and releasing this, but it's very attractive and it's more attractive, the younger and the like angrier that you are. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that as you get older, you start to find that like, there's a great truth to the idea that like burning something down is easy, <laughs> whereas building something is extremely difficult in time. <laughs> right. Sorry, um, all I can think about from my uneducated theological brain is there's a direct correlation between the amount of My Chemical Romance that you listen to and the want to burn things down. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I listen to a lot of My Chemical Romance. <laughs> my kids can sing the entire Danger Days, Days album. That's right. your, your wife did tell me that the other day. It made yes. me very happy. But I'm just picturing like angsty middle school Aaron being like, yeah, burn everything down. And now I'm like, oh man, it's drywall is a lot of work. <laughs> like, have you ever patched drywall? Like it takes time. <laughs> yeah see exactly and that's like at least for me i'm 34 years old that is the uh, when this precise... episode comes out you'll be 
maybe still 34. Are you having um, a birthday soon? Late January. Oh, happy birthday. Uh, it's like Michael. Thank you. Yep. His is three yep. days before mine. Oh my gosh, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Which does lead to me telling Michael he should respect his elders a lot more. <laughs> a lot. Than, <laughs> um, is actually probably relevant. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no, but I was going to say, Aaron, your, your, your encapsulation of that was a very precise, like concise encapsulation of like the difference between 17 year old Ethan and 34 year old Ethan. Right? Because yeah, I remember being a like early, early teen, you know, angsty. I, I went to Catholic school. Okay. There was, mm. there was a lot of pent up angst there. Yeah. Um, and just like, man, society's against us and I want to be different. And I'm like, man, just get your paycheck and patch your drywall <laughs> and call a plumber when the project is too big and just sh- <laughs> you know yeah, we all absolutely. we all grow up and get old so that that's totally fair we get excited when we replace mirrors on our days off yeah. yes you know i done that yes we're very proud but it and I mean, like, changes i don't want to alienate any listeners we have whose theological traditions might be traced back to Calvinism, which is like statistically a large amount of American Christians. Mm, it is. Um, but like, I do sometimes think of like the Lutheran Reformation as like the you're in your 30s Reformation, and the Calvinist one is like mm. the you're 18. <laughs> um, and that's to like paper over so much, like so much. I'm actually yeah. gonna just say that. I mean, um, yeah, it's very, it's very like rock beats scissors paper yeah. beats rock it's like this isn't actually the perfect example but it it, it ties could exactly could i take us back to the like um 1530s the, <laughs> the, like icon, we've already been there like itself and have it like a separate question yeah. in, in relation to that so yeah. like um we were talking about how like in dracula it's the like item itself it is like oh, the sure. cross has the power itself mm-hmm. kind of um, in this one, it's the belief behind the cross, mm-hmm. and it's the belief of the person wielding right. the cross. Um, in one of our episodes on Vampires and Mermaids, we talk about the um, the operetta, uh, Tonster <gasps> Vampir. Mm. So good. Wow. <laughs> so good. It's a German operetta. It's so fun. No, I, um, I was really not impressed. convinced, and I ended up loving it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. I was just going to say I'm really impressed that... Um, you guys have done an operetta already on your show. Like <laughs> Michael and Ethan has existed since 2016. 2016. And we have never, we've done plays and we've done oh. comics. We have never done an operetta. I so mean, you guys know it's already classier than ours. It's a little bit of like a slight obsession of mine. I, <laughs> I limit myself to watching it once a year. It was top um, of this girl's <laughs> list. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. here. Um, <laughs> Like, yeah, but <laughs> tippy top. I I like to. Make... Ah! Dang it! Ah! <laughs> nice catch, Aaron. I you saw that him. one hand in non sippy cup sip. Correct it quick. We we distracted him with the operetta. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, right. we're classy. You any, Until any you drink one hand the operetta. Yes, <laughs> yes, she does. Um, okay, but uh. So I, well, I um, try to make somebody watch it with me every year if I like them. Um, Aaron, wa- Aaron was the one this year. Um, I was I've, last year. Yep. I made nice. Mike and Sarah watch mm. it with me. Uh, but in that one, uh, somebody holds a cross up to a vampire mm-hmm. and then he go he starts laughing and he says, 
that doesn't work on me. I'm a Jewish vampire. Yep. <laughs> it's very funny. It's like it doesn't work on him because his belief isn't what it's trying to go right. at. Sure. So is that also existentialist or is that something else? Yes, for sure. It feels very Entirely existentialist. existentialist. It's, it's very existentialist. What? What year, like, what time period are we talking what, about? When was this operetta? When did it the, come out? It was the, 80s? Um, no, no, this. That. Oh, it came out. I had it. The, century, the iteration. It, it was twentieth century. It was within yeah. our lifetime. Okay. Yeah, within our lifetime for sure. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's um, kind of all. Like total eclipse okay, so of the heart. Yes, that's is, right. Um, one of the songs in it, except oh, in German. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it doesn't say total eclipse of the no, heart. No, no. Zeit bereit, sure. manchmal in der Nacht. <laughs> ja, ja, wie aber Gartenstüte. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all the German I know, and it's not actually German. Uh, that's why I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, du bist ja, ja, aber gar nicht gut mit Fiska, uh, Gebäusch, ja, wer kund, uh, Erber, Danske, Sauerkraut. Hey, I know Sauerkraut. That was me speaking German. Um, I like to say to Michael, du bist blöd oder du bist eine dumpfe Kuh. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> Sie ist eine Kartoffelkopf. Yep, this all seems like stuff that's going to stay in the podcast. Yes. Oh, Thank totally. You. <laughs> Your German uh, listeners could be very happy, but they also will hate it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe just take that out. <laughs> So the only reason I was asking about time period was to like establish is this is this you know could right. it be drawing actually on existential right. yeah within the era obviously yeah, yeah it usually could yeah um much. I would I was gonna say uh, and I don't know if this is like a question or not but I was going to say uh, Michael you've answered for me one of the questions that. I kind of had coming into this discussion because I'm so smart, um, which is about <laughs> I'm ignoring that, which is about um, whether whether this novel is a revisionist vampire novel, mm. because um, and this is something I mention on the podcast all the time. And it's another Michael and Ethan bingo card slot. But bingo. Um, the uh, well, we've had two and that's not how bingo works. But oh, you know. <laughs> uh um so so like now that we've had our interlude of talking theology over uh, a lot of the heads of people who have like <laughs> lives and talked to girls when they were teenagers hey, you're not alone if you didn't understand it i was right there with you <laughs> <laughs> well, i was gonna say now that we've now that we've done the theology portion of that i'm gonna do the literary studies portion of that by Ooh. talking about revisionism great which is just in genre criticism, there's this sort of known or sort of, I don't know. I don't know if trope is the right word, but we're going to go with it. Pattern. Um, where, or, or pattern, yeah. Where um, genres, by whatever definition you, you define them, often have what's called a, a primitive period, a classical period, and a revisionist period. Now, the primitive period is where Something is sort of in the process of becoming a genre, but it's mm -hmm. not like all the tropes haven't been codified yet, and and uh, 
um, you know, it's it's kind of working its way into being a thing. The classical period is usually where, literally, where like the classics of the genre come. Right. Um, and so it's just like if if you care about X Y Z genre of movies, you have to see these five mm-hmm. movies or ten movies. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. The revisionist period is when a genre is so well known and the tropes of it are so well known that uh, you have stories that are sort of about the genre itself. Mm. Um, so just as a really easy example in films, um, you had the classical period, like in the Western, for example, you had sort of a cl- or a, a primitive period in like the twenties and thirties where there were a lot of stories set in the old West, but they didn't all, the tropes hadn't been nailed down and they could be about all kinds of things. And then by like the forties or fifties, um, and certainly into the 60s and the TV area era, um, you had like sort of a, a set of tropes that were really, really expected. Like the, um, you know, the lone sheriff gunslinger, the, the you know, hot outlaw boy. There were only two <laughs> women in any of these stories. One was a school teacher. One was a um, waitress, which was <laughs> more heavy, or less and often quotes. more a synonym for prostitute. Like, mm-hmm. um well, the they're whole just idea... John Wayne movies, right? Like he was <laughs> yes. kind of the face of the industry at the time. So I um, feel like, at, and not exclusively, but John Wayne and westerns were kind of the same thing for a while. Yeah, yeah and yeah. John Wayne is a perfect example, or John Wayne movies. If you think of that, that's a perfect example. Right, it's like the iconic classical. thing you think of. Yeah. Right. yeah, 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 and that's that's a really good example of like a classical period. Um, now, a revisionist period comes when, uh, and this in the Western genre would probably be like the 70s through the 90s, but that comes when a genre like the Western is so embedded in the public's mind that you can start to make interesting stories by essentially setting up certain mm-hmm. things, um, certain expectations, and then changing them, violating mm-hmm. them in some Silverado way. is a good one. Silverado was one of the examples I was going yep. to use. For one thing, because... As a revisionist Western. Simply, simply mm-hmm. it's featuring a black cowboy. Right. Now, in actual history, like, I've... Stats... I've read different stats, but it's like right. 30 to 40% of cowboys were black. Oh, like, yeah. There was a huge black population. But in movies, like, Silverado in, I think, 1995, featuring one black cowboy was like violating everyone's expectations mm-hmm. where would like the mandalorian fall in that because that's considered a yes. space western uh. okay so this actually the mandalorian is probably another really good example of a revisionist excellent western. because like the whole appeal of the mandalorian is like you get to well okay so there, there's different appeals I, I won't say the whole appeal but an appeal of the mandalorian is like you get all of the tropes of Western movies without the discomfort of having to think about like the racism and the genocide <laughs> sure. that created the world of the Western. It's, it's worrisome because I brought yes. up this topic and as someone who grew up on John Wayne movies and Western books with their parents and then maybe um, watched some John Wayne movies uh, with a bit too much scotch and they're, Oh no. <gasps> oh God. <laughs> I um, a bit. Well, I will come back to that a bit, bit too much hard liquor in their system. Um, 
I really enjoy The Mandalorian. I think part of that is because I'm comfortable. But, but circling back, is this book revisionist is the original question. Is that correct? Yes. That is the exact original question. Thank you. <laughs> and you um, said I already answered it, so I'm going to be quiet. I mean, and you did, because, like, that was, the que- that was the question I struggled with. Because, like, this book has certain... Uh, um, almost vibes of revisionism, like literally in the sense that, like, you know, you have uh, people calling each other by names of characters from earlier examples of this genre. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's a classic revisionist well, thing, right? Right. Also, um, turning those into archetypes. I mean, right. If if you go to page. 455 in my book, which I think might be the same in your book. 455. Uh, he lists... Do you have the large print version because you're blind and old? No. Hey. We have the same version. So if you sass her, you sass me. It starts with doctrine. On <laughs> oh, it is, it is. It is the same one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, he lists a whole bunch of... Hey, Michael, can you read us off some of the names on this list? <sighs> sure. I'll read some. Dracula, Dracula's Guest, The Search for Dracula, The Golden Bow. There, I read some. <laughs> the natural Can history of what? what? <laughs> I closed the book, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the natural history of the vampire. <laughs> I like Hungarian folktales. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. So, like, th- it's a classic trope of revisionism where the people in the story have access to uh, the uh, previous right. entries in the genre that mm-hmm. they themselves are part of the story in. Right. Um, it's, I mean, it's, if you take it into horror, you know, the whole question of like, you know, don't go into the basement alone. Right. right? Like mm-hmm. you, if you're in a horror movie, you theoretically don't know that you shouldn't go into the basement alone. Right. But if you're not in the horror I mean, movie, you, guys, you don't go into the basement alone. Them? But if you're also in a horror movie that's a revisionist horror movie, you don't go into the basement alone, <laughs> but the horror still happens. Wait, do you go into the basement right. alone? I think Maybe. you go into the uh, basement alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I got from it. <laughs> Have you guys seen The Cabin in the Woods? Exactly. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I was yeah. trying not um, to say it. So good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so my question was... <laughs> what? What? Uh, what is this a revisionist <laughs> horror novel? Because again, it has a lot of the tropes of revisionism, but like, and and to me, like, one of the questions with like zombie stories or vampire stories is like, especially ones that are set now, quote unquote. Mm. There's two ways you can do it. One is it's a world that looks very much like our world, but vampire stories don't exist or zombie stories don't exist. Like the last of us was oh, basically yeah. that, right? Like mm. none of them had ever heard of vampires somehow. Right. Or you have to hardcore acknowledge it and then play with the trope. So it's like, mm. you always have the one character who's mm. like, Oh, according to, you know, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, this is how zombies work, but yeah. maybe they're, they're 28 days later zombies and it works like right. this and so whatever. Um, and this book almost seems like it tries to do both things. At least mm. that's how it seemed to me on my initial reading, which was it tries to uh, uh, both have a world where vampires exist and still use all of the classic vampire tropes. Mm. Um, and I found it kind of unsatisfying in that, like, if the characters know that vampires exist, they feels like they should be making better decisions. 
Um, And I think King tries to massage it in the idea that like, oh, the characters are discovering that the, the, you know, fictional lore of vampires is actually just a history. And so they're kind of like part of this history or something, but I don't know. It was like, it was almost like a trying to eat your cake and have it too kind of thing. Um, Sure. But I think that Michael, to me, answered, again, as Michael and I occasionally communicate telepathically, and, like, there's a lot of gross crap in both of our brains, and it's not good, but, like, occasionally it's actually productive. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't worry, by gross crap, I just mean, like, recipes that don't pan out, bad ideas for stories. um, Squishy caterpillars. Stuff like that. Mm. What? Squishy caterpillars. Yeah. Squishy 20-foot long caterpillars. Mm -hmm. The squish Um, factor. (laughs) But, like, occasionally... like So, Michael answered my question just out of order before I'd forgotten to ask it. Which is, like, the the existentialist versus the, like... I can't find another way to say it. You always get the punchline before the joke. Yeah. But, like... What's the the problem with being a time traveler? I'm so mad at you. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm lost. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, someone will come in your past to explain it. Oh, um, oh okay. Gotcha. It's the inevitable plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we've just lost Risha. Risha's fully gone. <laughs> the giggle fit that Risha and I usually have, I think Michael and Risha just had. And that's really <laughs> it's also scary because you two have very similar laughs. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, you grabbed it with your second hand on the way down. You already lost. I don't know what you're talking about. He's see, a guest. See, that's how that's how like saying the punchline He's first. A guest anyway, moving on. <gasps> He's not a guest. Wait, what? He drank single-handed. <gasps> I would like to kindly pass my lo- second loss on to Michael. Nope, you um, can't do that. I don't know. I think that seems valid. I can we take a vote? I can do we... think Michael deserves yep. to. Can we vote? What? Okay, no. yeah, I vote yes. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, say. I don't like this. <laughs> oh, that's not what you say. say no, he just said I don't like this. Which seems <laughs> you're like supposed to say nay. <laughs> All right. Well, that leaves our vote three to one. Um, the <laughs> eyes have it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh my goodness. <laughs> don't no. Don't retreat from I this. I can't do conflict. <laughs> it's an actual issue I have. Okay. Sorry, I forgot I was talking to Minnesota on this call. Um, oh, for sure. Don't you? Oh, sorry. I'm just going to scoot right by you there. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know. Hey, can I get um, that tapioca pudding recipe from you there, Marge? Well, wouldn't you like the teeter tot one more? Oh, for sure. That would be can real I, good. Can I point out a thing that, uh, a technique <laughs> that King does that Ooh. points out this is a revision of Dracula? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's in the prologue, chapter three. Okay. Prologue, chapter three is a news article. All of it. All of chapter three mm-hmm. is a news article. Dracula. Oh, how, ma- yeah. how many of this podcast has, re- has read Dracula? I'm raising my hand. Ethan, you haven't read it? Hey, the E's have not. Oh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> you and me, buddy. <laughs> right, Ethan and Aaron. But do you know 
how Dracula is written. No. Yeah. Letters. It's I an epistolary n- novel. Nothing. It's epistolary. So it's written in letters, news articles, yeah. transcripts of recordings, yeah. and things. So King, this is his nod to Dracula Aww. in chapter three of the prologue by turning it that entire chapter is a news article. This is him saying, this is a revisionist Dracula. Well, how sweet. Right? Boom. That Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, I'm so amazing. we are I'm massively over time. We are, but you're and... going to edit out all my inappropriateness, so it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We didn't even talk about canines. canines. I mean, like, there is always... Mike, again, on the Michael and Ethan bingo card... There is always a secret third episode that's it's just true. like all the things Michael and I thought about talking about while reading the book that we then forgot to ever bring up so during later. the show. Are we going to do that next? Yeah, pretty much. Or that we okay, were. cool. I mean, we can. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, I have a favorite part I want to talk about. Right? Okay. Okay. No, the the last about. thing I was going to say was like, is there anything you will be heartbroken not to at least bring up or or mention? Um, so yeah, that seems like a great segue. Go ahead, uh, Aaron. Wait. Ha. Uh, <laughs> okay, mine's shorter. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no. <laughs> I almost brought this up earlier when you asked if we were ever scared when reading the book, and you said typically the scariest part is all of your favorite people are in one room, something is knocking at the door, and normally I would agree with that. Slash the other scariest part is. Everything is going so well and wrapped up so nicely, and there's 150 pages left. Uh, mm-hmm. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, for me, the scariest part in this Which book for me. Which is a revisionist me, way to look at it. Fair. Is when <laughs> the young boy, Mark. Oh, thank Ooh, God. Ooh, you did it. Thank you. Well, Rich had to confirm it for me because I wasn't going to say it without confirmation. The scariest part for me when, was when Mark was bound up in that extra room. Mm. Um, and. He is talking about how he is almost microscopically expanding and contracting his muscles and encouraging Mm. his hands to sweat and is trying to get out of these binds. And frankly, that should have been the most boring chapter because it's someone laying on the ground doing nothing (laughs) noticeable. That's true. Like right from an overhead view, if you're just watching him from a camera, nothing is happening. I was so stressed out during that Mm. part. And I just have to give a lot of props for the writing Mm -hmm. because the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, Mark, you can do it. You can do, oh my gosh, you're such a smart kid. You've got this. (laughs) Like I was truly on the edge of my seat with that part because it was so well described for me. So from the prologue though, like who who did you think the kid was in the prologue who survived? I I thought pretty quick that it was Mark. Okay. Honestly, I, I pretty quickly figured it was Mark and maybe Ben. I wasn't yeah, sure, sure. Um, but that was my assumption. So I figured he would get out of it. Sure. But there's but always still. that. Am I about to be yep. hit over the side of my head yep. right. with mm-hmm. my Flynn mm-hmm. book or whatever yep. with some right. total, no, we're going to kill off the stereotypical, adorable, young character. Well, 
He was so neat too because he's a kid, but he he's like the one of the most BA characters yes. in this entire mm-hmm. thing. He's taking like, charge. He's smart. He's like, oh my gosh, vampires are taking over this town. I gotta do something. About I'm gonna it. use like, my little um, action figure who happens to have been a cross. Building myself. Yes, who happens to have a cross on his <laughs> gravestone to defend this vampire at my window. Like this yeah. kid is brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I just really enjoyed the part where he's literally laying on the floor because any other viewpoint that should have been so boring mm-hmm. and I couldn't put it down. I was genuinely so stressed out for this child mm-hmm. and he conquered actually, and it was awesome. Yeah. No, that was actually that scene for different reasons was one of the standout scenes for me as well. Okay, cool. Um, yep. Like, I agree. If, mm-hmm. What One thing I thought about doing if we you know, we're short on time, which I should have known we would digress into a minute dissection of the 1530s in Western Europe. But, um, like, I I thought about doing just, like, a favorite passages roundtable, right? And, like, that was the passage I was going to bring up. And for me, like, I agree with everything you said. I think all of that was going on for me as well. Um, For me, I also loved it because it was such a throwback to clearly the type of stuff that Stephen King read as a kid and then okay. got yeah. him into writing and storytelling. It was a um, very pulp place. moment. Oh. Did you say pulp moment? Yes, I did. Yeah, that was the exact word I was going to use. Thank yeah. you. Because like it's a very like and again, some of the stuff that he references in some of the meta portions where people are listing off like, you know, um what was the uh uh title we read? Dracula Obviously, Bram Stoker, but then you've got, like, Dracula's guest, The Search for Dracula, like, you know, clearly just, like, 1930s-ish, whatever, sequels to Dracula by deeply unauthorized folks. I would be interested in in an annotated version of this book that included references to all of those titles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And which which were real, which were invented, what the real ones actually were about, and so far. I love annotated versions. But, like, the point is, you know... Go on. Like, he's using Houdini tricks, right? And Harry Houdini gets put in the pulp pantheon alongside of a lot of the sort of people that Harry Houdini tried to debunk Mm, because Houdini's whole thing was to do like seance tricks and medium tricks, but like be transparent about Mm -hmm. how those tricks were done. Let Um, me show you why it's not real. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like in this, Houdini is uh, the rationalists magician. He's yeah, a rationalist yeah. magician, but like in the pantheon of people that caught spark wonder in, yeah. say, twelve-year-old children with a stack of right. pulp magazines, yes. he's still just as magical and wondrous as, like, you know, Conan the Barbarian yeah. or someone clearly mythical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was that scene was just like a beautiful, like, brilliant. You know, Michael, you mentioned um, King's direct nod to Dracula. Yep. This was like a direct nod to like that sort of pulp stuff that mm-hmm. um with no proof but with absolute certainty I will assert was like what inspired King to become a writer in the first place. Oh sure. I I agree with you. <laughs> I don't doubt it at all. <laughs> uh just in our our round table of like stuff uh, we'd be heartbroken not to mention. Risha, do you have anything? Okay, I don't know if you can put this out there. Um, but 
so I I get really fascinated on the um the like canine portions that were in the book hmm. like it, the dog that was killed mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. something that could you know like defeat the vampire at some point trigger um, warning oh my gosh. <laughs> wow everyone has deeply and thoroughly read the so book, you don't care about the the sharp places part but the dog <laughs> there's a dog that dies in this book yes well, and I, ah! <laughs> if you've gotten this far, it's your own fault. Honestly, I'm sorry, yeah. but it is. There's that. Also, and- don't worry, I'll edit out that Michael speech. <laughs> no, leave it in. I liked uh, it. <laughs> also, the fact that he he represented the the mom of the the Glick boys, mm. who um mm. said like she poised like canine like, or her teeth were canine like. I found that interesting because I. In a lot of vampire lore, you have like the werewolf versus vampire. Oh, sure. And I always feel like that has to do with the, um, in in some ways, I think it has to do, again, this might be like art history coming through. Um, But uh, the idea that dogs are like the loyal Mm -hmm. and then like vampires have the like, we are just very sexual very much that's what you mm-hmm. need it's the it's the the hunger the drive and then the the fight against like the the, the loyal canine yeah mm-hmm. um, it gives very cats versus dogs honestly like i'm picturing like <laughs> yeah. well really i'm picturing like the cats with the witches yeah. versus mm-hmm. the dogs against vampires and you know witches were supposedly evil and they had yeah. cats even though it was just brewers and women who knew Cats kept rodents out of their homes. Right. Oh no, cleanliness. Um, but no, I yeah. can see that. Where versus the loyal dog, the loyal right. companion who will defeat darkness. And mm-hmm. well, mm. like in paintings, you know, you have the dog in there to represent like the loyalty. And if Don't the mean, dog is mm-hmm. sleeping, that means you're being disloyal. But like that, like ah. that's like the I, I don't know. I always find that I guess interesting. Like because it wasn't mm. very like there wasn't a lot of it in the book, but there's. The like whole, one like, of his first moves was to kill the yeah, dog. Yeah, to kill the right. dog right away. Yeah. 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 Which mm-hmm. is like cool. one of the few places that maybe departs from Dracula explicitly, yeah. but like that that tracks with like you just research the subject in general and mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, uh, I like Michael, what you're saying about it. Yeah. Go ahead. Um what well, <laughs> how where do I start? Um I mean there's it, I, I I was going I, to say Make sure this doesn't have anything to do with the biography of Martin Luther. <laughs> okay. That uh, should have been my rule. Next time I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I just took a lot from the aspect of taking this as the existentialist Dracula. So I, I, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily feel like I need to depart too much from that, except like what happened to Father Callahan is Mm. like the one lingering question that I have. And I I go back and forth about my, within myself about how interested I am in that. Um, And it, 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 I don't know if this is the origin of this trope or not of that whole existentialist subject. Um, But uh, so this this came out in 1975. Who's who is the president in 1975? Uh, Aaron's looking it up. 
I didn't know we were going to do American history trivia. Would have boned up. Um, Ford. Ford. Oh. Uh, was what? What okay. uh, political party was he? Yeah. Republican. I knew it. Um, I should have said it. From I, I'm 1974 sorry. 1974 to 1977. So there's, I forget yeah, who. Yeah, so he was, he uh, was Reagan, or not Reagan, um, Nixon's vice president. Right. Is that right? Ah, right. Yes. And he took over when That's Nixon right. stepped down. Yes. So there, I forget who did the study, but it was like a Harvard study or thesis or whatever that yes. pointed out, you know what I'm talking about, Ethan, yeah. that when Democrats are in power, ah. zombie stories gain popularity. When Republicans are in power, vampires. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he said he vampire! Wow. Gain in popularity. Sorry. It happened. <laughs> it happened. There it happened. Anyway... <laughs> So I'm just gonna own it now. Um, that's <laughs> I would have missed it. <laughs> I gave myself away. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's that's like the study that happened. So like I sh- I should have very clearly known, and I did kind of I guessed that there was a Republican in office when this book came out because uh, Michael it only would have gained popularity. Not only did you lose, you have it backwards. What? No, I don't. Uh, when a Republican is president, zombie movies are popular. No. When a Democrat is in the really? White House, vampire movies are popular. No, 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 no. I thought it was the opposite, too. No, you're wrong. Where are you uh, getting your source from? What? Where, where are you getting this information? Uh, a article that starts, it was from 2019. Zombieland Double Tap is in theaters and Donald Trump is president. Coincidence? Question mark, exclamation point. Not according to one theory. In 2009, a science and pop culture blogger crunched the numbers and found a correlation between movie monsters and who's president. When a Republican is president, zombie movies are popular. When a Democrat is, vampire flicks rule. See, uh, no. No. (laughs) False. I disagree. I can send you the article. I don't. I will delete that email. (laughs) And... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm like sorry. This undercuts your whole thing, but also not oh. because. Of oh, I reasons. totally thought the same thing though. But no, yeah, everything is saying the other way. Everything's the opposite. Yeah. No, anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't really care about the theory that much. Um, I just like that Ethan keeps laughing when I just spontaneously go. With my, like physicality, just go. Oh, I don't know anything about this. Shoot. I lose at the end of I mean, the episode. This anyway. time I was laughing at Michael's discomfort. I know, but earlier oh. you were laughing when I just went, what? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I should have said Republican beforehand to prove that I would have known. <laughs> anyway. Um, Ethan will edit So now that I've ruined smart. your whole thing, do you have any any you point you want to make? Um, the only point that I want to make is... <sighs> And I felt like I more had more at the end of the Aww. sentence when I started it. Um, I'm so sorry. That's Maybe. okay. Um, no, just I I have so much invested in the trope, in the lore, in the concept that, like, okay, I, I want to respect any creator who comes at it and makes it their mm. own. And Stephen King comes at it in a revisionist way, which is great and fine and wonderful. And I feel like there's more to it. And 
so the the creatures that exist in his story fill the background, I think, mm-hmm. more than the story itself. Oh. It, it, it could almost, almost be any creature who's taking over this town. Mm. Like it, it could be zombies. Demon possession like or... demon possession. It could have been demons' yeah. possession. It could have been aliens. It could have been ant people who evolved oh, out of the ant population who that were... lived underneath this town when they had yeah. a, a, a dull winter one year and they didn't have to hibernate and they came out and grew up and took over the bodies of the people. And it would have been fine. Like... I hear this would have been road caterpillars and trained grasshoppers. Exactly. <laughs> It could have been twenty foot long grasshoppers that any will one day that, rise up and take over this nation. <laughs> and every beat of the story could have been the same. Yeah, I think that that's a fair point. I think that, like, the question that you answered prematurely <laughs> due to timey wimey wibbly wobbly. Um, <laughs> ah, yes. Like, I think part of the discomfort or or just uncertainty that underpinned that question did have to do with like that exact thought so again you answered another question like oh thank you before i asked it or that i actually in this case forgot to ask besties i don't like that i don't know what you're talking about i don't like that um so yeah yeah no just the idea that like because i think one question i thought about bringing to this pair of episodes was like are they vampires? Is, are these actual vampires? Because, like, we know that the Cullen family are not vampires. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so there's, like, that on one hand and, like, Dracula on the other. And I was going to ask you where on the spectrum, maybe, that, sure. that the Salem's Lot I vampires would have loved fell. that question. So, <laughs> Too bad I can't answer it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why can't you answer And that said... It? I think that brings us to. Oh, the do we not have time? I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, what are you sorry about? Well, I said, why can't you answer it? Oh, that's okay. But then I said, that's oh no, is it because of time? But I. <laughs> yeah, because of time. Yeah. Yeah. Someone in your past will explain it. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> the second time I made that joke, I don't know why it destroyed Risha this time. I love anyway. <laughs> I think it did the first uh, time too. If it makes you feel good. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I just like to be respectful of everyone's time, including the dental listeners. We are now massively over time, and we still have some to do. I mean, some stuff to do. Um, not just me. Thank you. Yeah, no, not at all. I'm usually the one. Oh, you just um, made me feel so much better. I thought I was the bad person. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, like I'll say. Sh- a bunch of times of that. No, oh, good. I thought that. I was the anomaly, so you just made me feel oh, no. so much better. Okay, good. I'm <laughs> well, a Michael's sailor. been putting up with my dirty mouth for decades. <laughs> oh. Alright, it's the Lillian Falls and the E's. I like it. Yes. <laughs> I like that as, as the, oh, the developing gosh. war. Oh, we need um, to have teams, like, next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, by my count, I, myself, Aaron, and Michael have all lost this episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Risha is the only winner, even though she was the first loser I know, last up. episode. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, there's something poetic and balanced about that. There is. Um, yeah, but she's my podcast buddy, so I have to give her a little bit of crap. I mean, yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> um, 
Risha, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do a punishment. Otherwise, I have one in mind. But oh. go ahead if you have one. Hmm. It's for all of us, not just me. So don't all look at, at me once? like that. Are you all doing it at once? Whatever you want. She's struggling. She wants to give me something easy and Michael something terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, you have one in mind. Go for it. Okay. Um, we have a tradition on this podcast that we call the Shakespeare Rays. Yeah. Which is um, from a different podcast that Michael and I are part of on the Tapestry Radio Network that probably hasn't updated for like a year or more at this point, but... Um, the, uh, Freddie goes to a podcast Aww. about the Freddie, the pig yes. series of, uh, like kind of middle grade children's adventure books from a hundred years ago or so. Yeah. Um, and some of the bad guys in that series do something that they call a Shakespeare race, which is where they both have the same passage of Shakespeare and they try to read it, oh, right. uh, like they start at the same time, and they try to get to the end before the other person. Oh. <laughs> so when Michael and I both lose, we tend we uh, often employ this one. So my thought is that the only uh, epigraph of this novel that has not been brought in well, I don't have a is copy from of the part book. three. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're not touching my book. <laughs> He's got focus. <laughs> so wherever wherever part three falls, the deserted village, I was thinking that the longest epigraph from there is of course um from Edgar Allan Poe's novel The Haunted Palace. Mm-hmm. And if the three of us try to read it uh in race form, um What page maybe... is it for you? Oh yeah, guys? you don't have to do this. Mm-mm. Oh, for thanks us, for finding the page for me. Four seventy-one or two. Yeah, they're the same. Yeah, just before. There you go. Just before that. There you go. Okay. All right. So I'm starting. In oh, just so this. The, the Poe. Yes, and travelers. The Poe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did teach English for five years. Don't judge me. Um, so should, should Risha count us in and we all race? To are we finish? doing on one? Are you doing three, two, one, go? Three, two, one, go. Am three, I two, doing? one, go. And okay. this is punishing all three of us. Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. And, and travelers, travelers Michael just fell ran off down, his chair. Ran down. He won, but Michael. I had to restart at one point because I was not saying words. I just. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you were Michael off your chair. Felt like he won. He did then do like the the victory pose from every 80s slash early 90s movies about teenagers and failed to get back into his chair rather than go on to the floor. Um, that was beautiful. Thank you. Don't now, let anyone I tell you otherwise. That was that body I'm, poetry. <laughs> given that like the three of you are in a room and I'm in a different room and there's an internet delay, no. I think the jury is out as to who won. <laughs> um, and it will be uh, made clear once I edit this thing and, and like maybe <laughs> so what if you leave it up to the listeners and they have to say oh. who won ooh I mean I love that <laughs> I think you should do that uh, 
I mean, yeah, okay, gentle listener, when you hear <laughs> this monstrous garbled uh, <laughs> nonsense Summoning passage of, of the demon. podcast, <laughs> you decide who you think won the race. Um, and just remember, I'm, I'm a guest, so you should be <laughs> next to me. <laughs> Oh, honey, uh, yes, Aaron's the person who <laughs> most clearly lost. <laughs> but wouldn't that be um, funny if you annoyed the host and said that I won? <laughs> I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. Oh I do now see the strategy that Aaron has employed and how I have fallen directly <laughs> down the sawed-off staircase onto no! the bed of knives below. Jimmy, no. <laughs> <laughs> this was my revenge to bring that up. That's uh, fair. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we have some last business to take care of, and we can try to do this fast if we want to. Let's do it. Um, do it real quick. Should I just mute us? <laughs> no, because we need you guys' oh. opinions, uh, unless you have to go or something. But, oh, no. Um, I just didn't think you wanted our interruptions. <laughs> I mean,. I never don't want your interruptions <laughs> from now on, honestly. Um, <laughs> so traditionally, Michael, what do we rate first? Oh, yeah. First, we, we rate the book. All right. So the scale for rating the book is buy it, borrow it, or forget about it. Uh, Aaron, let's start with you. So I would borrow this book. Um, mm. I For a little bit of extra context for me, not to tangent, make it long. Um, okay. This is like a four star on my Goodreads, which is basically like, I really enjoyed it. I read it super fast. It kept my attention. There were a few things that held me back from giving it like the OMG five star. Mm. So I'd borrow it. Sure. Risha. Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. The, just the ending was the thing that really kind of, I wish there was more from the ending, but mm. I, I love it. It's vampires. I love it. Buy it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Michael? Borrow it. Um, so, I, I, like I said, this is existentialist Dracula. Um, and there's a lot that annoyed me about how he was trying to be a little cagey. And I wish he weren't so cagey. Uh, mm. I, I wish he he tried. He, he was trying to walk two different tight ropes at the same time of trying to recreate Dracula in an existentialist philosophy and create a horror novel that would titillate and shock. And I wish he picked one and stuck with that. Um, because I don't think he could do both well. I don't think he could do sure. both well. Um, I think if he picked one, one of those would be great. I mean, like, I'm almost tempted to say walking two different tightropes is a nonsense metaphor, but it, like, <laughs> is only nonsense insofar as, like, you're describing the thing he was trying to do, which right. is almost nonsense itself. So. Right, exactly. Um, my rating is also borrow. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was very entertained by this book. I was never bored, um, mm -hmm. which, like, as someone who has read as many books as I have is not no mean feat. Um, it, yeah, it, it, I don't think it's like a classic. I don't think it's essential, but like, it's certainly entertaining. And, um, for a, in my edition, at least, uh, there were 650 ish page book, like it went real fast. So it's mm -hmm. a classic library borrow in the sense that you could borrow this from the library, read it in a weekend, be 
entertained and kind of back. Um, a lot of times with like living authors, which Stephen King is, like I try to, I, I sometimes default to buy just in the sense of like if you want to see more from an author from a given author, <laughs> like buying their books is obviously the best way. Um, but like I feel like Stephen King doesn't need that at this point he necessarily. Has <laughs> I would say buy it if I thought it was essential. I would say but borrow like... and take some of his money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only reason I would say buy is like you can probably find this book at almost any used yeah, bookstore yeah, for like five dollars or less. But mm-hmm. I was gonna say that's um, interesting because for me, and I just now realized this because I've been using the like forget it, borrow it, buy it method for a long time. Borrow mm-hmm. it to me has always been: Am I willing to borrow this to a friend? Like, would I recommend it? Like, yeah, you should. You should read this. I'll borrow it to you. Whereas buy it is my like yeah that's nice you should go buy your own copy i'm not giving you mine <laughs> <laughs> i think that's, I I think that. that's valid honestly. right I so for me like... i'm like yeah i would borrow this book to a friend i did i did buy it new on amazon because that's just mm-hmm. what i had easily accessible mm-hmm. risha and i both mm-hmm. did um i would borrow it to someone i'd be mad if it didn't come back but i wouldn't like hunt them mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. i mean that feels like a fair interpretation okay. of the mm-hmm. scale though because it's like yeah, it, it, it I mean, fits into of, our tradition on Michael Nathan in a room with Scotch of creating a rating scale and undermining it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I'm sorry and thank you because I was yeah. listening to everyone else go after I went and went, uh oh, I misunderstood the assignment. Uh, no. So thanks for saying Whatever mine's you, valid. <laughs> like, this is this is very like humanities majors like mm-hmm. rating scale where it's like you interpret the thing your way mm-hmm. and then rate it on that scale. So exactly. again, I'm a science major, so I'm like, I need exact numbers down to so, the like thousands. We're we're no, all I know. Like, pretty BA kinda and you're full of BS. Full BS. <laughs> full BS. In so many ways, yes. Which is funny because like humanities majors are usually the ones who are full of BS. Exactly. Right? No, I'm like, I need this graphed out. I need to know the factors. I need to know if there were any changes to your experiment. I need your hypothesis, your thesis, your conclusion. What's the constant? Yes. Yes. Did you have a constant? You better have. (laughs) People only have a thesis. And like, even that, like, it changes month to month. It's true. Um. And we probably yeah. disagree with ourselves from three weeks ago. Are you calling us right. fickle? Yes. What? No. Huh? Yes. As the science major, yes. Fickle? Uh, well, you're full of BS. In a fun way. <laughs> Listen, I just have an MA in BS. That's just you wanting um, the, the tea, but not in your own life. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Wait, but I also want that. <laughs> See, Ethan, you should have been a science major. Clearly, I would have done. You would have fit in great. I want my own life in order. I want to watch someone else's opera. (laughs) I don't want to be in it. I will watch your operetta, though. (laughs) Um, All right. Our second rating is the scotch. uh, And that is just one to five stars. Uh, Risha? Oh, gosh. Don't make me go first. Making you go first. Oh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It went okay. smooth. It was just enough smoke that it wasn't like overpowering or painful. I don't know. I'd maybe give it a four. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, I started last episode saying that I don't like scotch. Um, you did. 
my husband did a scotch flight for my brother-in-law for his bachelor party, and therefore I got to have a scotch flight, and I learned that I did not like hardly any of them except for one, which was Monkey Shoulder, <laughs> that I really enjoyed. Um, I Love actually it. enjoyed this one. I Ooh. I would be happy if my husband bought a bottle of this and took it home. Um, I would drink it with him. I'd, I'd say it's a four. Uh, I like some whiskeys and bourbons better, but I saw it is aged in bourbon barrels. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it was smoother than a lot of the scotches mm -hmm. I've had. Um, yeah, I would say a four. I liked it. Michael? I am giving this a 4.5. I I was so pleasantly surprised by this scotch. It it thrilled me. Um, and that's, that's not an understatement or, or an overstatement. Yes, overstatement. <laughs> um, it it's is, a statement. It's, it's a, a statement. Um, no. So there were so many flavors going on. I, I like. I got some like sesame seeds coming mm -hmm. out in this, and like that's that's new for me. And so any anytime I find something new in a scotch, I love it. And that that tipped over the edge. I was already loving it, um, and and content to drink it any time. But add add the sesame seed factor and all the nuttiness. And just like just enough of scope, ju just enough of smoke uh, in there that I I would drink this anytime. I I will find this on the shelf and I will drink it again. I will mm -hmm. put this back on my shelf and keep it there. And if it's gone, I will buy it again. So four point five. I was gonna say keep it there until you drink all of it. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm gonna concur with Michael's rating and give it a four point five. I really really liked it. Um. Which is surprising to me in the sense that I tend to like scotches that I think Risha would probably describe as having a painful amount of smoke. Because uh -huh. I think <laughs> that, was, that was the thing you probably. said, like mm -hmm. it had enough smoke without being painful. Uh -huh. <laughs> I I love like your Laphroaigs or your uh, Lagavulins like the, that have just like... The peated ones? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like the heavily... Technically all scotches are peated, but some are sure. more peated than others. Yeah. Um, to paraphrase Animal Farm. Uh, but, uh, like, yeah, no, I love the ones where it's like heat and smoke are like the only things you pick up. Like your mouth is full of a bonfire. And this one certainly wasn't that, but I think for similar reasons to Michael, where it was like every sip was like slightly different. And then there was still enough smoke to like mm -hmm. satisfy that part. Um, it was like not the typical scotch that I would rate that highly but no again i agree with michael i will buy this again put it on my shelf keep it there forever and then wonder why i bought a leaky bottle <laughs> that like <laughs> there was no more scotch in and then buy another Runs bottle that hopefully so wasn't as leaky uh yeah so final rating um rate the pairing of the book and the scotch Mm. Uh, the scale being perfect match, pretty good match, slight mismatch, or total mismatch. Um, so Risha and Aaron both look very thoughtful about this, as if maybe they were not prepared for this question. So I'm going to <laughs> let Michael. <laughs> I'll let Michael start and give the two of you sort of a second to uh, uh, ponder. Okay, I'm going to give this a perfect match. Uh, I think. <laughs> It's got enough complexity um, to communicate with just about anything it wants to. Um, I, I, I would have a hard time mispairing this scotch with any book, I'd say. Um, 
But the fact that it's got this interesting just trill of complexity that goes up and down all over the place that Stephen King tries to to pace himself over. Uh, I think the Akintoshan does beautifully. And so uh, if I'm getting bored with it, I'll, I'll turn to the Akintoshan and, and be thrilled and then turn back to the book and be fine. So perfect match. I think it's great. All right. Aaron or Risha, whoever wants to go first. Okay, so the way Michael just described it, I totally agree that that's a perfect match in that way. For me, I'm going to knock it like just below a perfect match because I totally see where you're going with it. It's going to sound so cliche and cheesy, but for me, I just want to drink like a Cabernet or like a red <laughs> wine with this vampire book, which I know is stereotypical. That's fair. Or I enjoy a lot of porters or stouts, so like a Guinness with this book. Mm. And I think for me, part of that is just... There are a lot of starts and stops in this book, like mm-hmm. you said. But for me, that means I either want to be like chugging my drink or I'm not going to touch it for 10 minutes because mm-hmm. I'm so focused on the book. And that translates a little bit more to like a beer or a wine for mm-hmm. me. Um, because for me, I need to be able to sip my scotch or my whiskey consistently. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I have no shame slamming down a third of my Guinness in 10 minutes and then not touching it for another 10. Um, whereas I, I also like my scotch and my whiskey is cold and I don't want to let it warm up. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Guinness gets a little bit thicker. A lot of porters and stouts do um, mm-hmm. as they warm up and that can kind of enhance the flavor. So for me, kind of that suspense, I think, would lend itself well to that type of a drink. Thank you for breaking our rating system twice in this episode. <laughs> well, what's um, the one right below perfect match? I just couldn't remember what it was pretty called. Pretty good match. Okay. I'd say pretty good match. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I just yeah, couldn't sure. remember the lingo. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I just like to mess with your rating systems. I love it. Yes. Um, thank you for also naming my favorite beer in your rating. <gasps> Ethan, I knew we'd be buds. <laughs> right? Risha. Okay. So going off of the way you just based it, I feel like I also have to put it at a perfect match, though. Okay. Um, because... I I am annoyingly like um, orderly with how I read books in like what? a in like you? a um, a rotation <laughs> kind of thing, um, so I I set like a timer when I read a book, and so nerd, I'll, shut up. Oh, <laughs> um, so I'll I'll read, and then that timer will go off, and if I'm still like okay, yes, I'm into this book, I'm gonna keep reading, then I'll reset the timer. But if I have a drink next to me, I'll take a drink of that. Um, and so the fact that this is it's smooth, so it's kind of like how he has the whole like the town is as normal. It's smooth. This is how it is. This is how the world is with those little random like different like bits and and pieces within that kind of poke out as you take a drink like you said it's different each time Mm. you take a sip it's kind of like within the book it's a little something different is happening while it's still within this 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 town that's going on i don't know so i think it fits really well for me Mm -hmm. yeah all right my rating i'm gonna say uh i really like all of the ratings so far. Like, I like Michael's. In. What? Nothing. Go on. <laughs> Did you just call me a butt? Um, oh, no. I liked, I liked Michael's rationale 
Um, and the, you know, and, and Risha's like the, the idea of those parallels. I actually, I really liked Aaron's like, yes, I was um, right. Logic. <laughs> Thank you. For, um, you know, why a, a red wine or a Guinness even works better. Uh, my rating is a slight mismatch because I think Told that this ya. scotch, what? Nothing. Go on. What? God, you are you know, such an older brother. You're just poking people from the background. I'm not um, touching you. <laughs> Ethan, go on. Uh, I'm listening to you, my e buddy. Thank you. I appreciate. Yes. It. I'm glad that finally there's one person on this podcast who. I got me. you. Um. So, slight mismatch because I think that this scotch is more complex than this book. Mm. Um, I think that the scotch in, in like parallel with how I rated it, you know, a 4.5, like this scotch as scotches go had a lot more mystery and unexpected Mm. stuff than the book did Mm -hmm. partly because it was existentialist Dracula. (laughs) Um, and so I mean that not necessarily as a disrespect to the book, but just in terms of, like, the weird, and this is a weird, like, rating to do, period, but, like, the weird system we've set up of comparing the two, I think this scotch rates more highly in its plane than this book does as far as complexity and surprise goes. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling like it's a slight mismatch for those reasons. Mm-hmm. I like it. Very good. It's valid. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep. Um, yep. That said, gentle listener, that brings us to the end of Akintoshin and to the end of Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Uh, this is where we normally do plugs for other Tapestry Radio shows, and I would like to uh, let Risha and or Aaron talk about Vampires and Mermaids. And this can be as short or as long as you want. Yeah, uh, we'd love to have you come over and listen to Vampires and Mermaids. That's my and Risha's podcast on the Tapestry Network. Uh, Very happy to be included in this lovely podcasting family. Um, Every week, Risha discusses a different vampire lore, story, legend. Operetta. Operetta, yes. yes. Um, and I do the same for mermaids. So we cover a little bit of all of our bases. Uh, and we have a lot of fun. We have a couple of tangents and some history. Yeah. And an overall good time. So we'd love to have you stop on by and check us out. And I am super excited to listen to it myself. Yay. Cover um, your necks and watch your tails. I love that. Thank you. Um, cover your tails and watch your necks. That too. And... Uh, as Michael and I always say every time we end the episode, thank you for listening. And just remember, it's our party and we'll cry if we co- fail to cover our tails or our necks. I love it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Obscurantism and Obfuscation, 
orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.